You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. This, uh, this past week, there was a... Uh, oh, the name of the, the holiday just popped out of my head. What was it? Groundhog Day, that's it. Uh, and I had read a couple places. I think what's popping out of my head specifically of who posted it was Church Curmudgeon. Said that uh, if your pastor sees his shadow then there'll be six more weeks of the sermon series. Well, clearly that is not the case for us, because today we actually close our sermon series here in Ecclesiastes. Uh, We come to the final message as we wrap up with chapter 12. With that said, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And as you turn there, According to a, a LifeWay research, a survey that was done in, 20, in 2007, 70% of 18 to 20-year-olds leave the church. And they, they go on to say about a survey that was taken in 2019 that the good news for the Christian leaders is that churches don't seem to be losing more students than they were 10 years ago. I don't know how good news that is. But it goes on, however, the difference in the dropout rate now and then is not, is not large enough statistically to say it has actually improved. And this is according to Scott McConnell, the executive director of LifeWay Research. McConnell goes on to say, overall, Protestant churches see many teenagers attending regularly only for a season. Many families just don't attend that often. As those teenagers reach their late teens, even those with a history of regular church attendance are pulled away as they get increasingly independent. A driver's license or a job factor into these things. And again, a survey in 2019 found that the top reasons for teens or young adults to drop out of church is for moving away to college. 34% said that. 32% says it was due to church members seeming judgmental or hypocritical. 29% said that they didn't feel connected to the people in their church. 25% say that they disagreed with their church's stance on political or social issues. 24% said work responsibilities prevented them from going to church. Then a survey taken in 2020 by Pew Research found that compared with the parents who took the survey before them, U.S. teens are less likely to rate religion as a priority in their lives and to say that they believe in God with absolute certainty. Still, a majority of teens say that religion is at least somewhat important in their lives, including one in five uh, teens asked to say this. In addition, more than eight in ten American adolescents say they believe in God or a universal spirit. At the same time, many teens also espouse a view of morality that is not God-centric and have a pluralistic view of religion in general. Like U.S. adults overall, a majority of adolescents say that it is not necessary to believe in God in order to be moral and have good values. And this holds true across most religious groups analyzed in this report. These sad state of affairs uh, that we see in these things 
I think that as we've studied through Ecclesiastes, what we've read there speaks into this. I think there's a reflection here in the warnings that we've seen in Ecclesiastes about living life merely under the sun, living life apart from God. You can pursue all kinds of things. They're saying, you know, work has taken so many people away from church. You can pursue work. Solomon talked about work as we've gone through this. You can pursue all kinds of pleasures and, and desires and, and how we want to live. We can even pursue our own or a social moral standard if we desire. That is apart from God. But what does Solomon say? It's all vanity of vanities. It's empty, as there's nothing that can be held onto, nothing that we can keep. And I, we see this is where the state of the youth is in, in the church overall, or young adults as well. But what we see in our text this morning is a call to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And we can ask many questions about why what we read here in these, these researches and these surveys are the case, and we can come up with right, correct conclusions. Uh, looking at the church and, and how youth groups and different things have been uh, mobilized and, and built on fun and excitement and relativeness to you know, where the kids are at in the sense of you know, just what their felt needs are, as opposed to teaching them the word proclaiming the gospel, and that being central to those things. I'm not saying fun and games and those things are, are wrong and bad, but, but what are we trying to build their lives on? If we have to try to make Christ attractive to them, then do we, do we ourselves really believe Christ is attractive, that he is really all glorious? Or can we present Christ for who he is and in that show and say he is worth living for? He is worth your life. And that we would call them to remember their creator in the days of their youth. I think we need to keep that in mind as we, we go through this and as we wrap up Ecclesiastes. What is it that, that causes us to see that our God is worthy? Can we lift him up for who he is, how he has revealed himself, and see in that alone that he is worthy? that we would proclaim the gospel, even to the youth, proclaim the gospel, teach them God's word, teach them to defend their faith and hold to it even as they go to college, even as they go to the workplace, and that they know the truths that they stand on and why. Now again, we, we wrap up our series here in Ecclesiastes. And uh, it, for me at least, has been uh, a difficult and hard series to study and work through. And then even some of those applications to, to point it back at myself has been a little difficult, but it has certainly been a joy and a blessing, and I hope you would feel the same way uh, having gone through this book. Uh, again, this is not an easy book to go through, uh, but it, it really is good and I think important for us to wrestle with the difficulties of it and just let it say what it says. So as we were in chapter 11 last time, we saw that life is full of risks, and to try and live a risk-free life really is not an option. 
Uh, so last time we saw how, how, again, life being full of risks, that, that we need to trust God with our lives as we live for him, live in faith and obedience to him, uh, faithfully fulfilling the responsibilities he has given us to fulfill, enjoying what he has given us to enjoy in their proper place. We saw that even though there is pain and calamity in life, it is still good to be alive. So we are not to waste our days. We are to live while we can. Life is short, and and so is is youthfulness. So, So don't waste your youth. If you are youthful, do not waste that youth. But remember, as you live and Pursue enjoyment in life and and follow your emotions and impulses. God will bring you into judgment for it all. Now, as we we come to chapter 12 and and wrap up this series, we see the preacher come to his closing words. And we see in verses 1 through 7 that he focuses on growing old and and growing weak in old age and, and this leading to death. And then we see in verse 8, before he comes to his final conclusion, before he wraps everything up, he restates the premise of the book, that all is vanity to the uttermost. And then lastly, we'll see in verses 9 through 14, his conclusion. And so with that said, let's read this passage together for this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And in the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the streets are shut. When the sound of grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird, And all the daughters of songs are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terror are in their way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bull is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. To the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, as we work through this passage, we must remember that last time when we left off, uh, the preacher gave a warning to the youth to not waste their youth, but to enjoy life, 
but not outside of God's boundaries. Uh, Truth be told, as we've already seen, true satisfaction is found in living within God's boundaries, living according to his word, living in the fear of the Lord. And this is something that uh, the younger you are when you learn this, uh, the better off you are. Uh, Because as as we go through this and we see, again, in in verses 1 through 7, Solomon talks about growing old and what that looks like and and becoming weaker and, and that this leads to death. And so parents, we need to be teaching our kids to live in the fear of the Lord now. Especially us fathers. That's our responsibility. We can't be lazy. We can't shirk this responsibility off on others. Not the preacher, not even the Sunday school teacher. It is our responsibility in our homes to be teaching our children. God has called us to raise our kids in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. And so we should give the call to our kids that we see the preacher do here in chapter 12, verse 1. When we read, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. We'll see in verse 12, Solomon is specifically addressing his son as well. And Solomon recognizes that youth and life are fleeting. And so he urges the youth to remember their creator now. Now, while you're still young, remember your creator. The word here translated as remember, it has more to do than just with recall. It's not just simply remembering, simply having it in your mind, but action is implied. I remember hearing one person illustrate it this way with the question, did you remember your wife's birthday? Now, when somebody asks that, are they just simply referring to recall? Just was it in your mind that it's your wife's birthday? Or is more implied from that? More is implied. The idea of, did you do something for your wife's birthday? Did you take her somewhere? Did you get her a gift? Did you remember your wife's birthday? And so again, action is implied here, not just simply recall. And so when it comes to remembering our creator, the action implied would be trust, obedience, commitment to your creator, the one who made you for himself and his purposes, the one who has all rights to your life, the life he created. You know, many think that they can put off turning to the Lord. That in their youth, this is when they have energy. This is when they have life. And so they, they, they want to use that to their own pleasure and, and live this life as they see fit to their own full desires while they can. And then once they start to slow down and, and they can't do as much, then they'll turn to the Lord. Then they'll repent. But my friends, that's not Repentance. Repentance isn't just, I'm going to get as much as I can out of my pleasures and life and live however I want, and then before I die, I'll I'll turn to, to Christ as if he's just fire insurance. That's not repentance. Repentance is recognizing our sin for what it really is, an infinite offense against our infinitely holy God. Repentance is when we know and believe that Jesus Christ died for us, that God sent his son for us. We see the love of God in that. How could we not love him in return? So why would we want to keep doing that which is an offense against him? 
And so we hate our sin. We mourn our sin. We renounce our sin as we see it for what it really is. And so to think that, hey, I can just live it up, and then as I get older and before I die, then, then I'll, I'll turn to the Lord. That, again, that's, that's a misunderstanding of, of what the gospel is, what the command of the gospel is. That's a misunderstanding of God and his holiness. On top of that, you don't know when you're going to die. Many die in their youth. But we've talked, going through Ecclesiastes, how death is not a respecter of age or health. Our days are numbered, as we see in Psalm 139, before even one of those days began. So no, you must remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And when we do that, that is how one lives life to the full. To not waste your youth, but to live with true joy and satisfaction. Not living merely under the sun, but recognizing the God who made you. This is where true satisfaction is found. This is where true life is found in being satisfied in your Creator. Again, we discussed that in general, we could say that youth are often led by their impulses and their emotions and, and so tend not to recognize their Creator. But this is the call, that from as early as one can, to turn to the Lord, to commit to Him who is worthy of your life being committed to. He is worthy of living for Him and living according to His Word, living in the fear of the Lord. So remember your Creator. Turn to Him. Don't waste your youth. Turn to the Lord before the joys of life begin to grow dim, as one's physical strength and physical pleasures begin to diminish. The point is to honor God with all of your life, with all of your strength. As we saw last week, the preacher wants his readers to enjoy all their days. And so that begins with turning to your Creator now, turning to your Creator as early as you can in your life. The preacher has made clear how fleeting pleasure is, how empty it is to chase after desires as if that's the end of life, as if that's what life is all about. Instead, turn to the Lord and find your satisfaction in Him and turn to the Lord before the evil days or days of calamity come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. You know, when you're young and, and trouble comes, uh, you're, you're able to spring back from that a lot easier. But the older you get, the more trum trouble just seems to roll in one after the other, like clouds returning after the rain. An example of this is how when our bodies age and we grow old, our bodies tend to fall apart. We see this in verse 3. Solomon describes a house that is falling apart. It says, in the days when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. Again, this house pictures uh, is a metaphor for the body in the days of old age. The arms and hands begin to tremble. Legs are bent with weakness. One begins to lose their grinders, their teeth, and so they become few. And one's eyes 
grow dim. And as we look at verse 4, we see with age comes the loss of hearing and one's inability to sleep soundly. In verse 5, we see that as the body gets weaker, so too one's confidence weakens. When one grows weak, too weak to defend themselves or to maneuver the way they used to, one grows strong in fear. So, for example, where one's height was not a problem for someone, Heights now become something to fear. For me personally, I have never at any point been happy unless my feet have been on the ground, but that, that's, that's another story. The point is, one cannot do what they used to do. They don't have the same reaction time. And so they don't have the confidence that if they were to slip, they'd be able to catch themselves. They aren't as steady on their feet when their feet are on the ground, let alone when they're up in the air. And then, too, as this is the case, and the body grows weaker and more unstable, then even just to go out into the street or go to the store, wherever it may be, comes with new challenges and new risks and dangers. So one may grow in fear. And then verse 5 continues, talking about the almond tree that blossoms, which, continuing the metaphor, this would then refer to one's hair turning white. Well, then Solomon says the grasshopper drags itself along. The grasshopper, you can picture a grasshopper in your mind and, and how it quickly moves. It can jump from one place to the other. But in old age, the one who could jump all around and move with ease no longer moves very easily. As one grows in joint pain and, and muscle pain and swelling, And not only do they slow down, and not only do they no longer move as well as they used to, but also their sex drives begins to diminish there. As we see, it says here in the ESV, at least, that their desires fail. Again, something that had vitality in youth no longer is what it used to be in old age. As death sets in. Uh, which apparently, in my studies, I found that, that that's how the Jews would refer to uh, one who was slowing down in their old age. They would say death was setting in. In the end of verse 5, it says, Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Again, aging and growing weak, it, it leads to death. And death then is described here in verses 6 through 7. Death is when the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, uh, these things that are irreparable. And I think, too, as it refers to the silver cord and the golden bowl, uh, these materials refer to the, the value in human life. But it's, it's easily broken and shattered. It's It's frail. Death is also pictured here as the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern, pitcher and cistern being vessels that hold water, water being a symbol of life, but now that life can no longer be held. Verse 7 says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, which should throw our minds back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 19, when God pronounced the judgment on man for his sin in the garden by saying, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
This should then remind us why we grow old, why we grow fail, why we die. That ultimately is because of sin. We're all sinners in Adam who ate of the tree that the Lord God commanded him not to. And we as sinners in Adam have all sinned. We've broken God's law. And so we stand condemned under his law. We are objects then of his wrath by nature. That's the bad news. But thankfully, in God's word, we also see good news. Good news as communicated in John 3.16. John 3.16 through verse 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in his is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Our only hope is in the Son of God, to believe in him for salvation, to turn to him. For all who refuse to turn to Jesus Christ to be saved, they remain under that condemnation. My friends, when you feel your body wearing down, when you no longer can do what you used to do, let it remind you, you have earned death. You have earned God's judgment with every offense against his holiness. Each time you've taken God's name in vain, each time you love something else more than the God who gave you life, with every lustful glance, every hateful grudge, every ungrateful word, we have all earned his infinite wrath for our infinite offense against his infinite holiness. And God is just and he must give sinners what they have earned. And yet we can know his love. For he loved in such a way that he sent his son to pay the price on the cross by offering his perfect life in place of the wretched sinners. So all who would believe on Jesus, who died and rose again for them, for all who trust in him alone, turning from their sin, would be forgiven. They'd be made right before God, credited with Jesus' righteousness by faith. And when we know this truth, when we know this gospel, when we preach this gospel to ourselves, we see yet again one more reason why he is worthy of us living our lives for him. When we see the great love of God, when we see that he is mighty to save. So even with our aches and pains and growing old, reminding us that we have earned death, that we've earned his judgment it's just another opportunity to preach the gospel to ourselves and see the great love that God has had for us and sending his son, seeing all that he has done in his mighty deeds and works by his grace and kindness. And we can say, look how worthy he is of our lives being lived for him. Look how great he is. What a mighty savior he is. That we would turn to the Lord. That we would commit our lives to him. How great is he who is mighty to save. He is our creator, our great and awesome God. He is worthy of us hating our sin, worthy of us pursuing holiness, worthy of us living in the fear of the Lord. We see then that it is a joy to remember our creator and commit to him. So why wait? 
However old you are right now, sitting here, why, why wait to commit to the Lord? Why wait to live your lives for his honor and glory? Because he is so great to live your life for him. Why wait until your life begins to slow down and, and you don't have the energy or ability to do as much as you used to do? Why wait? Give all that you are, all that you have to living for him because he is worthy. He's worthy. And if you are saved, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you have the greatest picture of this worthy and awesome God. Why wait for death to begin to set in to live for him? If you have youth, remember your creator in the days of your youth and rejoice all your days in the Lord. And if you've already begun to slow down, maybe the almond tree has already began to blossom Maybe it blossomed a long time ago. But even if you still do not have the same vitality of life that you once did, live the life you have now in the fear of the Lord. Remember your Creator now. Commit to Him before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Remember him now before your body returns to dust and the dust returns to the earth as it was, before the spirit returns to God who gave it. God created your spirit. He gave you breath and life. Your breath, your life, your spirit belongs to him. What more for us who are Christians, who are in Christ, whom he has saved, we doubly belong to him because he bought us at a price. Our lives are his. We do not belong to ourselves. So why waste any more time living for ourselves? Instead, let's see how great our Creator is and live for Him. And then, as the preacher winds down his message here in Ecclesiastes, and then before he makes his his final concluding points, we see in verse 8, he restates the premise of the book. He restates what he has been telling us throughout the whole book, right from the beginning. That life under the sun, life lived apart from God, pursuing our own pleasures, and all that we can get out of this life is all vanity to the uttermost. Whatever we do gain, death steals it away. Nothing lasts, nothing can ultimately satisfy apart from God and his purposes. So it's all vanity. It's all fleeting. It's all futile. It's all vanity of vanities. He reminds us of this going into his final point. Whatever we live for, living for ourselves, living in the pursuit of pleasure and satisfaction under the sun, is not worth living for. Only our great and awesome God is. Remember your Creator. And then we see in verses 9 through 14, Solomon concludes his book. He concludes these words of repentance. We see here the preacher has appropriately exercised wisdom in not keeping wisdom to himself. He is taught, and he is taught knowledge. And knowledge is not just his opinion of how things are or should be or his feelings, which often is what passes as wisdom and knowledge in our day. But he has carefully searched out and weighed out in his study and has compiled Proverbs. We see in verse 10 that in communicating such wisdom and knowledge, he has gone to great lengths to be tactful. Now, as we've studied some of this and gone through this uh, over the past 19 weeks, 
we may ask <laughs> in some of those things, how tactful was that? It seemed more like a slap across the face uh, than being tactful. But even as we discussed this past Wednesday, being tactful can look different depending on the situation. And so wisdom is necessary to communicate truth, and in an honest way, as we see here that Solomon sought to do so. And really what we have experienced going through Ecclesiastes was loving. Even the hard truths. Maybe it's better to say especially the hard truths. It was all very pastoral. We see this as the tactfulness of the preacher applying the wise words, which he says here are like goads, which was an instrument used by shepherds or herders. Uh, It was a, a long staff or stick that had a pointed end that was used to poke the animals to keep them moving. And then he also used this instrument that had nails fastened in it. And this was used to keep the animals on the path. So to accomplish this, these instruments inflicted some amount of pain on the animals. And when we are being taught wisdom and truth from God's word, sometimes it causes pain. But that pain is good for us. Because the pain means we're not following, we're not moving forward in our walk with God as we should. That pain means we're not on the right path that God's word has marked out for us. The hard teachings from God's word is meant to keep us growing and pursuing holiness, to keep moving forward and moving forward on the right path. So we should not despise those painful truths or avoid them. Churches that refuse to talk about the hard things and unpopular things, the things that that don't necessarily make us feel good about ourselves, they do no one any favors in avoiding them. We must stand firm on the whole counsel of God, going verse by verse through through whole books, letting God's word speak for what it plainly says. Letting the work of the Spirit have his way in us, that we would avoid folly and stay on the path of wisdom in the fear of the Lord. And so then we see that Solomon then directs this, specifically, directs this specifically to his son. He says, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. And I believe this verse is referring to man's search for wisdom apart from God. As we hear wisdom from God's word, we may not like the wisdom that's given to us. We may not like what Solomon, the preacher, has said throughout Ecclesiastes. We might not like when he says that everything under the sun is fleeting, empty, and futile. We may not like him saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And therefore, we can search elsewhere for wisdom. Search elsewhere, which is what we feel is more fitting for us. And really, this is the scope of every man-made religion. And on such human wisdom, there is no end to the books that can be written. You can study the newest ideas, the the latest religious fads, which, which really aren't new. They're just heresy in new packaging, old heresy in new packaging. But we can search the religions of the world, but they will never satisfy the inner turmoil of truth. 
Just look at all the, the secular books, too, that's out there. And man's ideas apart from God on parenting, on dealing with depression. Look at all the, the self-help books out there that not often contradict each other. It will not satisfy. For we know God has given us an innate knowledge of himself. We know, as Solomon has already said in Ecclesiastes, that God has put eternity on our hearts. Search for the wisdom you want that you think will suit you, that will allow you to choose your own path, uh, to choose your sin and remain in it, and yet convince yourself that you will not perish. You can look for that. You can, you can choose that. You can choose to believe that God accepts your good works and that you can be good enough for him and to get into his heaven. But much study is a weariness of the flesh. The call here is not to despise true and godly wisdom just because you prefer something different. True wisdom is from God. True wisdom. And when we seek out true satisfaction, we must understand true satisfaction is a gift from God. You must know God and live in reverence fear of God. And understand that there is only one way to God, as revealed in his word. And so the preacher then with that gives his closing words, verses 13 through 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. With everything we've gone through these past 19 messages, I think these, these words to conclude this book and, and the conclusion of our study, they, they are most appropriate. And however we live this life, this life that has been given to us by God, with all we might pursue with everywhere we might look to find satisfaction, with all that we might search for and reach for, whatever it is that is merely living under the sun and living apart from God, it is all empty. It is all fleeting. You'll not take hold of what you reach for for very long. You'll not find fulfillment. And whatever bit you might gain under the sun, death will come and steal it away. And then what? You'll have to face your righteous judge in the end. He who will bring every deed into judgment, even those things that you think no one else knows about. And none of us have lived in the fear of the Lord as we should. None of us have kept God's commands as we should. And on our own, we will continue to live under the sun apart from God until we die. And then there will be no more call to repentance, no more chance for forgiveness. And we have all incurred God's wrath. But by God's grace, he has provided a substitute for that wrath. By God's grace, he calls men to himself. God's promised Messiah has come, the greater king, the greater brother of Solomon. 
the man who is God, Jesus Christ. He is the only way to God. He has satisfied God's wrath for all he saves. And he motivates by his spirit all who trust in him to live for his glory. My friend, why live for what is fleeting when you can live for what is eternal? Why live for what is lesser when you can live for the greater thing? Why live for what is empty when you can live for what is glorious? Why? Why choose the lesser thing? Why waste your life? How much can life really mean living for what will soon no longer matter? My friend, live for God. Remember your creator in days of your youth. And if you've already wasted your youth, remember your creator now. Commit to him the rest of your life, living for his honor and glory. Remember, that is the chief end of your life. The chief end, why you're here, why you've been created, the chief end of your existence is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So don't waste any more time. Turn from your sin. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, trust in him alone. Only Jesus can save. Nothing of yourself can save you. And begin now to live for the glory of your great and awesome God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visitnvbc.com.